0: So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us and then protecting it. And somehow down through the years, we can have a copy in our hand and multiple copies at our fingertips. We pray that you'd help us not to take that lightly. And we come this morning as followers of Christ to look and see what your word says about him during this day of his crucifixion. So speak to us, Lord, in a personal way. By your Spirit, speak to us, and we'll follow what you say. We, we trust you. We know you would never tell us anything but for our good and for your glory, so we pray a very simple prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. Could you pray that prayer out loud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. And we listen now for your voice, in Jesus' name, amen. For the last three weeks, we've been on a series that we entitled The Road to the Cross. You'll remember that, uh, well, maybe you won't remember, but I remember preaching to you on the triumphal entry and, and what happened when Jesus came into the city. And Then Johnny preached on the upper room, and then last week, we went to the garden and uh, I stood last week, and I had my notes like this, and and I didn't say a word. I just started reading, And, uh, and sometimes I'll ask KK what she thinks, and I hope she'll tell me the truth, and she said, you know, the only thing was, you just started reading. You didn't tell anybody. You were reading something, and you just started reading, and then you just kept reading, and I'm glad we didn't have too many guests that, that might think you always stand up and read your sermons. <laughs> you know, so I don't usually stand up and read my sermons. But, but last week it was just so capturing to me to make sure I tried to get every detail I could because I've grown up going to church and I've heard the Bible taught and I've read through the scripture myself. But if someone asked me to describe the details of the garden, I might could get, you know, 60-70% of it but there were other pieces that just fascinated me when I looked at all four Gospels and tried to bring it together today I'm not going to read quite as much I don't think but I have tried to look at what the four Gospel writers say about the cross if I ask you today just, just describe to me what happened on that day that's called Good Friday and we all struggle to know why we would call it Good It didn't look good for Jesus, but it's the beginning of the good news for us when he died on that cross. And when we look at that cross and someone said to you, can you explain the details of that day? I could say that the cross stands at the center point of all of time and of all of eternity. I could say that the Old Testament anticipated the coming of Christ and anticipated that day on the cross. And I can say that everything that happens after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is applying to the church and pointing back to that cross and so this morning I want us to take just a little bit to ask three questions what happened why and what does it mean to me now if you'll allow me to I'm probably going to put more time on what happened than I will on the next two of application but Let's just take our time with your Bible open, and I hope this week, I'd like to challenge you. I hope this week that you will read, you can do this between now and next Sunday, that you would read all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at this account of the cross. Just find it in those Gospels and read what happened as night became day and Jesus went to the cross it was night when he was betrayed there in the garden he'd been praying Judas gave him that fateful kiss and they took him away when when Peter followed from behind and he went to that fire in the courtyard it was in the courtyard beside the high priest's home and there were two high priests named and there's a reason for that the former was not really the former he was former in name his name was Annas and he had been the high priest and his son-in-law just so happened to be his son-in-law that took the next high priest position. And their homes were there together and there was a courtyard between. It was at that fire in the courtyard where Peter had betrayed the Lord three times. And it was moving from Anna's home to Caiaphas' home that that fateful look with Jesus looking in the eyes of Peter when the rooster crowed and he remembered that he would betray him three times. That night, three, well, technically, under the cloud of darkness, two trials took place. The best way you can remember it is there were six trials. There were three that were religious and three that were civil government, okay? The three that were religious, first, one passed to another, and then they waited just barely till the sun was coming up because it was illegal for them to have the trials at night and they waited till the sun was coming up and they gathered the Sanhedrin and when the Sanhedrin was there that that means the the rulers it was the court the rulers of the religious court when they came together the scripture says that they were mocking him and they had Even in chapter uh, 22 of Luke in verse 63, it says those who were holding Jesus as they were doing that, passing him back and forth, they blindfolded him and they said, Prophesy, slapped him in the face. Who hit you? Come on, if you know everything, who hit you now? And they were laughing and they were mocking him. Verse 66 says, when daytime came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes convened and brought him before the Sanhedrin and they said, If you're the Messiah, tell us. As they were trying to examine him there, they had already tried to have two court preparation times, (laughs) you know, like lawyers do, uh, testing out the testimonies to see if they were going to line up. And they kept trying to bring in people that would accuse him, and they just kept getting confused, and it wasn't making any sense. And finally, the high priest got him to admit that he really was the son of God. And when he did, he tore his robe and said, There you go, you've got blasphemy. So we've got charge for him now. And so before the sanhedrin, remember, third, third religious tri- trial that Jesus encountered, he was accused of blasphemy, and he accepted it, quoting from the Old Testament telling them that the Son of Man had come, and that from now on they would see him seated on the right hand of the power of God. So they had the charge but there was nothing they could do with the charge because they were not really in charge of Jerusalem, no pun intended, all right? They couldn't bring about any kind of punishment because they were under Roman rule. And so they had to take their religious charge and take it into the government of accusation to bring punishment to Jesus. I have to believe that Pilate... Probably wasn't happy still having his coffee when this ruckus takes place and they're bringing Jesus over to accuse him so that they could get the government to help them remove him and as he came he went before Pilate and I don't know if you have little marginal notes in your Bible but here you've got a marginal note Jesus faces Pilate then you go up to verse six and it says, Jesus faces Herod. So let's talk about those. First, he was before Pilate. And Pilate is the one that is repeated, not only in the book of Acts, but in the Apostles Creed. I mean, his name comes up again, right? I mean, so this is an important part of us remembering people who are the players. Now, can I, can I hit pause here for a second and say, some of you have seen Easter plays Uh, I've I've been a part of a church that's put on plays at Easter and I've I've listened to the scripts and I've watched the players and I've seen what happened and I've, I've tried to make sure that those plays that I remember were really biblical, you know, to go back and check and see what happened. But you remember Pilate can take a big role in an Easter drama because he takes a big role here. He's mentioned in all of the Gospels, mentioned again in the proclaiming of the Gospel in the book of Acts, and he's mentioned repeatedly in church history because he was the one who thought he was in charge, who was the puppet that God was using because there's this delivering over. The Jews delivered him over to Pilate. Pilate delivered him over to Herod. Herod delivered him back over to Pilate. And then Pilate delivered him over. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. So here we are. Pilate says, so tell me, are you the king of the Jews? Notice if your Bible's open to chapter 23. They brought the assembly and came before Pilate and they began to accuse him. Look what they accused him of. Not what they had agreed on before they went. And I guess as they were walking over, they were going, Pilate won't buy this, you know? I mean, there's no way he's going to think it's a big deal that we think there was blasphemy because he's not going to try to enforce our religious pettiness. We already know the disagreements we have about who's in charge in the city. So look how they changed it. They went before him and they said, we found this man subverting our nation. We found this man who was, in fact, bringing uh, mis." leading teaching to our nation trying to rise up against you notice how they he adds more to make Pilate pay attention he said he's opposing the payment of taxes to caesar now let me ask you is that true no that's not true they came to jesus trying to trick him and said you think we ought to pay taxes to this evil government hmm what's tomorrow okay anyway you think we ought to pay taxes to this evil government and jesus said hey give me a coin And then he said, so whose picture's on the coin? They said, well, it's Caesar. He said, okay, then you render to Caesar what's Caesar's and you render to God what's God's. That's not what Jesus had said. Jesus knew that we had been stamped with the image of God. And he was saying, you can go ahead and pay tax for an evil government, but are you bringing yourself before a holy God? So they accused him of saying that not paying taxes, thought that would get Pilate's attention. And then they said, and he himself is the Messiah, a king. Now that's supposed to be threatening to Pilate, right? Now, Pilate had been paying attention. He knew what had gone on in the city that week. But he asked him, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you've said it. You've, you've made the right confession. But notice, if you underline in your Bibles, and I, I've been underlining so much I'm getting confused as to what I underlined. all right? If you underline in your Bibles, three times, Pilate says, I find no grounds for charging him. I find no fault in him. They kept insisting, the scripture says. They stirred up the people and they, they, they then said, come on, he's been causing trouble throughout Galilee even to here. And Pilate thought, finally they gave me a way to get out of this because they said that he was a Galilean. So verse 6 says when Pilate heard that this man was a Galilean he remembered that he was under Herod's jurisdiction and he sent him to Herod because he was also in Jerusalem during those days. See they expected and they were not disappointed that during the Passover season the city would be running over with people. They knew that the Jewish people didn't like the Roman rule and so they'd brought extra soldiers and they had extra presence in the city but Pilate and Herod didn't get along. Uh, They had had conflict, and I can't imagine a governor not getting along with the president, or, you know, you, you get the picture, right? I mean, so they had had governmental conflict, and Pilate didn't send him over to Herod because he thought it was going to work out well. He was dodging, all right? He was doing the good political dance. And he said, Send him over there. And when He got to Herod. Notice what the scripture records in in Luke, at least. You you see where it says, Herod was glad to see him. (laughs) Now, why was he glad to see him? He'd been trying to see him. He'd heard all about his miracles, and, and he had actually sent word and invited Jesus, and Jesus had not come because he wanted to see this one he had heard all this stuff about. And so when he got before Jesus, He wanted to see him. He heard about him hoping to do some miracle, and he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer. Why? Like a lamb before the shearer. He would offer no defense. He would offer no objection. The man of sorrows took himself without trying to defend himself. The scripture says, the chief priests and scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with the soldiers treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in a brilliant robe, and put it on his back and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. You could put in parentheses again. All right? They, they were reconciled back to each other. Previously, they'd been hostile to each other, but they found something to agree on, okay? That they were both having trouble with the Jewish people and this leader called Jesus of Nazareth. So now you see Jesus. One, two, three religious trials. Now you see him before Pilate, one, before Herod, two, And now back before Pilate. When he goes back, he's been mocked. He's been beaten some. Not the final beating. But he'd been beaten some. And he stumbles his way back into Pilate's presence for the second time, the third trial. And the scripture says, that Pilate called together the chief priests and the leaders of the people, and he said to them, you brought this man as one who subverts the people, but in fact, after examining him in your presence, here's the second time he said it, I find no fault in him. I cannot find the fault of the things you're accusing him of. Herod hasn't either, he sent him back to us. Clearly he has done nothing deserving of death, I'll just have him whipped and release him. And then the scripture gives us a little parenthesis of explanation. Because during the festival, they could release someone. And now another man enters the stage of the drama of human history when our Lord was betrayed, beaten, and crucified. Do you know his name? Barabbas. Barabbas is listed in all four gospel accounts. I think it must be relevant. It'd be relevant if it were in one, but it's in all of them. And Barabbas was a known criminal. Barabbas was a known murderer. And so they, he was, you know, Pilate was sure that they'd choose to have Jesus and put this guy back on the streets. And so he offered to release Jesus. But they instead chose Barabbas. In verse 18, it says, They cried out together, Take this man away and release Barabbas to us. He'd been thrown in prison as an re- act of rebellion and taking place in the city, and he was a murderer. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. You see that? He wanted to let Jesus go. So he addressed them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him crucify him a third time he said to them pilot did why do you, this man has done no wrong I find in him no guilt no grounds for the death penalty let me just whip him and release him to you but they kept up the pressure they cried crucify him crucify him and as pilot was saying what should I do why should I do that I think it's Matthew that records when Pilate washed his hands publicly for them to see, symbolically saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. That's why we have the saying that you wash your hands of this. He washed his hands publicly declaring he could not condemn Jesus to death. He didn't find the fault. And what did the people on the streets shout? Do you remember? Let his blood be on us and on our children. This morning I almost wish we could dim the lights and you could just feel it for a moment. Crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him, they cried. And Pilate trying to deal with a riot the scripture says interesting wording he handed Jesus over to their will he delivered him over to their cry now do you know what happened before Jesus started up the road to Calvary they beat him they beat him with a whip Historians tell us that it was laced with rock and bone, and that as they hit him 39 times, because 40 would they, they can't cross that line, so they always stop one short in case somebody was miscounting. I'm, I'm not making fun of it, I'm, I'm trying to get you to feel the moment. They took that 39 times, so it doesn't make, make a mistake, and they beat him, and his back was just totally ripped. There's no movie, that, there's no picture, there's no artist rendering that could make us feel what Jesus felt just in that moment of being beaten for our transgression. And then he started the walk. It really wasn't that far. It was outside the gate to the place of the skull called Golgotha, Mount Calvary. I've seen those that tried to show he carried the whole cross and I've seen those that showed he carried the cross beam and someone else had taken the cross. I'm not really hung up on what he was carrying but it was the cross he was carrying and he'd been beaten so much that he couldn't carry it. Now another name is introduced to the scripture. Simon the Cyrene modern-day Libya. He was in the city, probably of Jewish background, in the city for the festival. He'd made his way there like others do when they go to the city to celebrate, whether it's Jerusalem or whether today in Mecca. The festival called the people to come, and Simon did. He was there, 80% 80% sure he was black, but 100% sure he wasn't lily white. Okay? He was African descent, possibly Jewish mixture in his descent, and you can determine if there's anything significant in who God placed in Jesus' path that day. But when he couldn't carry the cross because he was beaten so badly, they grabbed Simon and threw him there at the feet of Jesus and told him to pick up the cross and carry it. A great multitude followed, it said. Yesterday I was discussing this sermon with two couples, close friends of ours. I said, what, what hits you on that day of the crucifixion? And Madeline said, hits me that the women were there and the men were hiding. <laughs> Let the scripture speak and you ask the Lord to speak to your heart. I, don't know, I, 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 I do appreciate the boldness of the women who stayed near. When he got there, made his way up the hill, They laid him down on that wooden beam. Now a cross beam for sure. And if you look in history, you may see people tied to the cross. But we know that the option could be tied or could be nailed, and Jesus was nailed. How do we know that? Because the gospel writers tell us about the nails in his hands even after he was raised. Okay? Okay? So they drove the nails in his hands. If you've ever been a part of an Easter drama or watched it, and they tried to take a microphone and put it near a big nail, like almost like you would use to drive a uh, wood there for a train track or something, I mean a big nail, and hit it with a big hammer. And it just makes you realize... What they did when they nailed him to that cross. But as tough as that was, what happened next is the most excruciating thing of it all. Both physically and then spiritually. Physically, as he hung there, if you try to read any on the cross, there was either a place for the feet or a place for the for the seat, but it was to give some help because This is how a person died on a cross. They pushed themselves up to breathe and they let themselves down in exhaling. Think for a minute about his back and think for a minute of what he felt like when he pushed himself up to breathe. Spiritually, the Father laid all of our sin on him. And for the first time, who said, I only do what the Father says do, I only go where the Father says go, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus, our high priest, experienced the separation that sin causes in our life between us and the Father when all of the sin of the world was laid on him and then he cried it is finished in the original text there's one word to it was a word that would be used to write across a bill when a person had been charged something and when they paid their bill you would write across it telestai it is finished it is paid in full And he said, into your hand, I commit my spirit. And he hung his head. And he died. They knew that the next day was the Sabbath. They wanted to hurry along the process because it could take hours, if not days, for a person to die, depending on what they were like before they were hung there. So the soldiers came by, and they were going to break their legs you may have wondered, why were they going to break their legs? Remember the picture I told you. They knew if they couldn't raise up and get breath that they'd die much sooner. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament that his bones would not be broken. And they took the spear and they pierced him in the side and from his side ran the water and the blood and they knew enough about Physiology that I don't know that explained to them that that was the sign he was truly dead later he would say Thomas reach here touch me in the hands feel my side and believe they took him down from the cross to get him buried before the sun went down. It was late in the day, and Joseph of Arimathea, who was also part of the tribe that had condemned Jesus, but he had not, and he had followed along to see what was happening. He he had asked for permission to take his body, and so Joseph took his body down, and I love the little note that John records in his gospel. He says, And Nicodemus, the one who had come to Jesus by night was also there. Not his disciples who were in fear of their own lives, but two of the religious rulers that had not bought the lives of the others but had become followers of Jesus, asked for his body. They quickly wrapped what they could, not completing the full burial took him to a nearby tomb that had not been used, borrowed tomb because he didn't use it for long. And they took him and they put him in there. And they they went back and they said, we need to be worried because if they they were to say that he'd rise up from the dead because he made language like that, we'd all be in trouble. So we need to put a stone in front of it and we need to put some soldiers guarding it. And that's where we leave the historical account until next Sunday. But I told you we would ask, what happened? Why? The best thing I can do is answer that for you from the scripture. So I've made some notes of some I want to put before you. And trust me, it was, I had plenty to choose from, all right? <laughs> but I tried to choose these to give you something to think about this week as to why he died. Listen to Romans chapter 4 verse 25 it says he was delivered up for our trespasses i i had to put that one first because it's so consistent with what we'd seen of them delivering him over and Pilate delivering him over and then even later in the book of acts they'll talk about he was delivered over but he was also delivered over by the father which we don't we don't understand but Jesus was delivered over, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, but the scripture goes on. I'm gonna back up a chapter in Romans and show you why Jesus had to die. Romans chapter three. If you'll back up and look at what it says, let me me find it here. Romans three, verse 25 God presented him as the sacrifice of atonement. I I chose this translation because I didn't want to take time explaining propitiation. All right, that's what some of the translations say. That means a satisfactory uh, offering, okay? So atonement as the payment. God presented Christ, God delivered Christ over as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, but then he goes on. And he says, this was why, look at verse 26. He says, God did this presenting to us his righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I, I've got to get you to see, because, you know, I'm so visual with the timeline here. I've got to get you to see how this verse works. It says... God passed over the sins previously committed. Not demanding in His holiness to wipe out the human race as His holiness deserved, but God allowed sacrifices and even prescribed foreshadowing sacrifices of Jesus. And God Passed over those sins previously committed. How could he do that? Because God is not a time creature. God sees all of time. We see, you know, maybe a minute at a time. And how quickly we forget yesterday. But God passed over the sins previously committed. That at that cross, he could be two things. Just and justifier he could be righteous and the one who makes righteous so I ask you why did he have to die because the holiness of God demanded payment for sin and God passed over those sins previously committed so at that cross God could be the one who was justifying us how had the old testament said it listen to Isaiah chapter 53 Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. Why did he die? For our transgressions. For our iniquities. Listen to what Isaiah said. All we like sheep have gone astray. Turn to every one. To his own way. But the Lord has laid on him. Who is the him? Jesus. The iniquity of us all. Let me, let me show it to you this way. Just pretend that this is the book of my sin. Written in microfilm. Okay. It, it would take a lot of more pages and a lot of tiny print to get it all in there. This is all the sin of my life. God looks at me. And he can't have a relationship with me. Because of my sin. Pastor Gilbert, like a sheep, has gone astray. He turned to his own way. But what happened? God laid on Jesus the sin of us all. The most incredible thing that we can't understand is the separation that Jesus felt as he took on his own body the payment of my sin and of yours that's why he did it but there's a third question what does it mean to me well let's go back to Romans I could have gone a lot of places but I decided to do it in Romans Romans chapter 4 Paul is giving an illustration about Abraham and how Abraham believed God and God declared his trusting as righteousness. And so the scripture records it this way. This is why it was credited to him, Abraham, as righteousness. And the words, Paul quotes, the words it was credited to him was not written for him alone. Why did God have that recorded? Well, the next verse explains it but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who was raised, Jesus our Lord, raised from the dead. Do do you get it? It's the great exchange. We bring him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. We bring him our failure and our pain. He gives us his ability to endure and live forever how do you get it it's credited by trusting believing because the previous verse it just said Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness and this morning I want to challenge you to believe God and count the cross as righteousness some of you need to do it for the first time Some of you need to do it because every day we preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves that we're sinners who need a Savior. So the scripture says, if God would freely give us His Son, then how could He not with Him freely give us all things? On my very first overseas trip, I had to get a passport to do it. I remember it. I went on a, two, two reasons. One, for a meeting, but on the way to that meeting, we traced the steps of Martin Luther. And we were making our way through what was then still uh, East Germany. There was a wall. It was communist at the time. As we made our way, we went to the different places like where Luther nailed the the theses and you know we we saw the different things that if you know anything about Luther's life but we went into this one church and the leader who was from Germany the other side knew so much history and he said for those of you that remember anything about the reformation when they started trying to say the Bible could be read by everybody. Uh, there was a break with Roman Catholicism because they, they felt like they could all have personal faith and they could know the scripture. So there was an artist named Lucas Cronau. And Lucas decided he would paint a picture of what became the very first Protestant altar painting. Don't let, don't, don't let me lose you now, all right? The very first Protestant altar painting. They, a lot of them were still not reading the Bible, and they needed to see the stories. And in this painting, you can go home and look it up. In this painting, Cronau did something that was totally forbidden in his day, being a rebel in a good sense. He painted biblical scenes but he placed some modern people in the painting. He had the scenes of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, then he had the scene of Jesus hanging on the cross, and then he had Martin Luther, who had the Bible in his hand, trying to show everybody they could believe, and he had John the Baptist pointing to Jesus rubbing on a little lamb, saying he's the lamb of God. But right there beside the cross, If you look carefully, there was a stream of blood that came down and hit the painter who had inserted himself in the picture on the head. Do you get the message? His blood was shed for me. This morning I'd like to ask you in prayer as we pray in a moment to take a very emotional, spiritual risk and take the words of the crowd and make it your prayer for an entirely different reason. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that Jesus shed his blood to make us right with you. We know there's nothing we could do, no goodness in our lives, that we could ever offer to pay for our wrong. So we thank you that you were willing to give your son your only begotten Son, your one-of-a-kind, unique Son, the infinite God-man Jesus, that you were willing for Him to go through that suffering and go through that pain and experience that separation to pay for our sin. So our hearts cry out, Hallelujah, what a Savior. And our hearts cry out, let his blood be on us and on our children. We know that we're responsible for our sin, putting him there. But, oh, Lord, would you let his righteousness be applied to us because we trust in you and we believe. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.